This is part four of God's great and glorious gospel. And you know, it's been surprising and amazing how many people have uh, responded online to this and just said they were encouraged, they were blessed, they were challenged from all over the world. And how they were taught new things. So something is happening and the Lord is speaking. We trust the Lord will speak again to us this evening. Just keep your Bible open. I want to read Matthew 24 and verse 14 to you. The Lord Jesus said on this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then shall the end come. And I will read First Peter chapter 2 verses 8 and 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. And holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvellous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the sense of your presence. Thank you for the sense of your spirit. Thank you for this great and glorious gospel. We ask you now, Lord, to settle every heart in this place and all who would hear. And Lord, help them to love the Lord Jesus even more. May we praise you and exalt you, glorify you and magnify you in a greater way than ever before. May we be faithful to you, Lord Jesus, in our love relationship with you and in our life before you and our walk with you. Father, encourage our hearts. Strengthen our resolve. Lord, bless our spirits and come and anoint our ears to hear, our hearts to receive, my lips to preach, And anoint your word to find that lodging place in every heart and glorify your son. We ask it in his name, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Israel has been divided into two kingdoms. The ten tribe northern kingdom with their capital city in Samaria. And two tribes, southern kingdom, as they're known, called the kingdom of Judah. Israel are known, that is the house of Israel, the northern kingdom. They're known through scripture then as the house of Israel. They're known as Israel. They're known as Samaria sometimes because of their capital city. They're also known by names like um, Joseph and also by the name Ephraim. Now, outside of Genesis and those people with those names like Joseph and Ephraim, those are the, uh, the forefathers of those names. They're the ones who own the names. But their children way down the line, the ten tribes in the north, like Northern Ireland and Southern Ireland, I tried to give you an example, is what happened in the land of Israel. And Judah in the south was given Benjamin to be a light before it always, as the Lord had said in 1 Kings chapter 11, reading onwards. When he would separate the kingdom, God had a great and a glorious plan to bring the gospel around the world. 
Now, Israel, because of their sin, that is the northern kingdom, they're taken away in different deportments, but around 721, there are other dates around there, but around 721 is their main deportment, and they're gone at 721 BC. And they're taken away by Salmaneser and other kings like that, and they're taken into Haloth and Hebor, and by the rivers of the Gozan of the Medes and the Persians. And then, of course, through time, they gather a number, they go through the Caucasus Mountains, they come west, and of course, formulate and populate the Western Hemisphere, nations of Europe, Scandinavia, and so on. Now, we've looked at that in three, uh, in three evenings. We can't go into that anymore. But the Lord has said he would do it. And we looked at the prophet Amos, how the Lord said that he would sift the house of Israel. Amos was from the southern kingdom of Judah. And the southern kingdom of Judah actually fought at times. That's where you get the name Jew from, from Judah. And they fought sometimes with the house of Israel. But from the southern kingdom, he sends a prophet. He sends Elijah and he sends Elisha and prophets like that. But a southern kingdom prophet called Amos. He takes him from following the sheep and he anoints him to send him to prophesy to the house of Israel. And as he goes up, this man goes, I suppose, in fear and trembling. He says, I'm not a prophet, neither is that prophet's son. In other words, he's saying, I don't know why, but God hath anointed me to preach the word. God has anointed me to bring you this message from him, telling Israel to, re- to repent. They didn't. So God says in, in Amos chapter 9, we've looked at it a couple of times, that he would scatter the house of Israel as grain is sifted among the nations as grain is sifted in itself. Yet the least grain would not fall to the ground. In other words, God would know where every one of them were. He would hedge up their ways, he says, in other places. In other words, they would lose their identity. They would become Gentilized, or people say Gentiles, but to their, to their uh, religion, to their ways, to their culture. They would be Gentilized, swallowed up, taken in by other cultures. And you would find that they would lose their identity with God. And they wouldn't be called the lost tribes, but God always knew who they were and where they were. Here's the thing. We looked at Hosea. We've looked at parables. We've looked at many things in the old and the new, showing how the Lord had spoken about this the whole way through Scripture, letting us know that he knew everywhere they would go. We looked at Hosea last week, and the Lord uh, told Hosea to call his children, for one of them was called Ruhamah. And lo, ami. In other words, he would call them that because it means you're not my people or you're not my children or you would not have find mercy with me anymore. I will not have mercy on them. So they're scattered. And Hosea represents Yahweh or Jehovah God. And Gomer, his wife, represented the house of Israel. And she goes and she becomes a, a, a woman of other lovers. And the Lord says, that's what Israel are like with me. They are an adulterous woman, an adulterous wife, and so they're cast out. Now, about 120 years later, in uh, the southern kingdom, they start going corrupt, and the Lord calls time, and Nebuchadnezzar carries away the, the Jews, or the house of Judah, into Babylon. And they go eastward and across into Babylon. And as they go eastward, and they're in, in that land, we read of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fairy furnace, 
We read of Daniel in the lion's den. We read of Ezekiel by the river Chibar a, a, a few years, a, a little bit down the line, writing his prophecies. And we had Jeremiah before they, the last deportations go in to the, the land of Babylon. We read in the psalmist, and remember the pop group Boniem sang the song and made it more of a pop song rather than a psalm. But the psalmist takes the language of the people of Judah who are down in heart and away from the temple and bereft of God. Uh, and they're, they're says they're hanging their, willows, their harps on the willow trees and they can't sing unto the Lord anymore. And they can't pray unto God anymore because they don't know the Lord anymore. And that song was, uh, how can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? Remember that? By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. That's from the Psalms. They were singing the Psalms and that. And so they're singing there, but God had told them in 70 years that he would bring them back out of Babylon. And he, he told them in the book of Jeremiah. Now, that's another study. We can't go into all that tonight. But Daniel is praying. And Daniel's praying for those that are near and that are far off, and those who are in the countries where the Lord had scattered them. Speaking about his brethren in the house of Israel who had been scattered before Daniel was even born. And we read that the angel comes and gives Daniel 70 weeks are put upon the nation of Judah, or the Jews. And that 70 weeks starts to come to pass when you have Zerubbabel's temple being built. Ezra goes out to help. Then Nehemiah builds the walls. And from there, 49,000 of the house of Judah and Benjamin go out. And they start to repopulate. And that's where the Lord Jesus comes from. That line. So when the Lord Jesus comes, he starts mentioning these things. Matthew 13. He speaks about many parables. I looked at them. The sower sowing the seed is the word of God. The gospel is going to be preached. He starts talking about the, the, the sower sowing the seed and they represent the children of the kingdom, the seed again. So it's the word and it's the children. And he, he's telling these people for they would know exactly what God is talking about when Christ starts to reveal the scriptures to them. And you see, this great mystery of godliness that God was manifest in the flesh has now come from heaven to show us another great mystery, that God had scattered his seed. In other words, that the nations of the earth would be formed and that the nations of the earth would hear the gospel and God would be justified. I spoke about it this morning in all of his judgments and in his justice. And so men and women would be redeemed, would be saved through the preaching of his word. So we have the Lord Jesus also in Matthew 13. He says, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a woman. And he says that she puts uh, three measures. Uh, uh, she puts three measures of leaven or, or, or it's like a meal in, or into the dough. And it leavens the whole lot. Usually leaven is, speaks of, of uh, wrong doctrine or false doctrine. But here he's saying the kingdom of heaven is going to grow and fill like this. There's an example of it in the Old Testament in Daniel chapter 2. If you'd like to turn to it, let's turn to it this evening to assure you. In Daniel chapter 2, I was just worshipping there and the Lord just winged this to my mind. And I thought, you know, we'll just go there then and we'll do this first. In Daniel chapter 2, please. Daniel's in Babylon. And the Lord has him there for a plan and a purpose and a reason. And because he's in Babylon... We're told that King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And he has a dream and he asks his soothsayers and his magicians 
to tell him the dream and they can't tell him the dream what it is. He says, I want to know the dream and the interpretation of it. But these men are saying, tell me the, the dream. Maybe we could give you the interpretation. But of course, the king wanted the dream to be told and the interpretation. So Daniel's brought in a man in whom is an excellent spirit, we're told, which was the Holy Spirit. So Daniel says, give me time. And he goes into the place with God. And he's called, there's a God in heaven, Daniel says, that revealeth secrets. He reveals the secrets of men's hearts. He reveals the secrets of men's minds and women's lives. And he reveals it first to the man and to the woman. And he shows them their need of a savior. And he shows them their need of Christ. And he shows them their need because they're a sinner. He shows them that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. And it's only the blood of Christ that will save them. That can forgive them. That can cleanse them. So the God of heaven that reveals secrets speaks to Daniel and says, Daniel, go to the king, tell him, here is the dream. So Daniel comes and he says, King, thou sawest a dream. He saw a great figure in the shape of a man. I'm paraphrasing for time's sake. His head was of gold. His arms and his chest was of of silver. And of his, his midriff, his belly, in other words, it was of bronze or brass. And his legs were of iron and then right down into iron and clay for the feet and the toes. And the king says, Daniel, tell me what this is. Let's read Daniel chapter 2. And read verse 31. Thou, O king, sawest, and behold a great image. This great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. The image's head was of fine gold, and breast and arms of silver, his belly of and thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet part of iron and part of clay. Notice, he sees this image. Notice what he says. Thou sawest till a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay and break them to pieces. Now, I will not read down at all because it'll take too long. Here he says, what you saw was this great figure. And the great figure is this. The head of gold was a Babylonian kingdom. The next kingdom which would take over the Babylonian kingdom of arm was the arms of silver and the chest of silver. That would be the Medes and the Persians. And that was why there was two arms, the Medes and the Persians. These two kingdoms came together and they worked together. You hear of Darius or Darius and you hear of Cyrus. They are the Medes and the Persian kings. You'll read off them in Daniel chapter 5. He's the one where it writes, the finger writes on the wall, meaning, meaning, tikal, you're first and your kingdom is numbered and finishes, now has been found wanting. This is the, the, the Medo Persian kingdom that would come. Then the brass would be Alexander the Great, the Grecian Empire, which would take over. And then the Roman Empire would be the, the iron. And then, of course, that runs right down through into a papal Rome. And then from a papal Rome to the dividing, to the conquering, right through to a European Rome. European revived Roman Empire that we're seeing today. And that's where we are in the year 2014. We're at the European Union is the revived Roman Empire economically. Rome is the revived Roman Empire spiritually. And the euro and the one world monetary system is the revived Roman Empire Financially, The financial systems of the world are godless systems. And we're told that this would happen. So in this, God's great and glorious gospel would happen. He says, you saw until a stone was cut out without hands. What does he mean? It means it was a rock that came out of the mountain. A stone 
A big rock came out of the mountain. In other words, it wasn't man-made. It wasn't a brick. It wasn't man-made. It wasn't like the Israel's bricks in Egypt when they made their own bricks. It wasn't like those of Babylon was built upon. It was created. A created kingdom. A created kingdom called the stone kingdom would come. And it's already had happened in Daniel's day because Babylon, the great, was fallen right from the time when God called Abraham out of the year of the Chaldees, Isaac, Jacob, 12 sons, Judah, and Joseph would be the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom, the 12 tribes. One is scattered. God said that they would be used to pull down Babylon the great. This kingdom would come against them. God's people, but God's kingdom, we're told, would last forever. Let your eye just run down for a moment. Let your eye run down to verse 42. And as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. See that iron and clay? You know, if you get a a piece of iron that's in the ground, you can break the clay off it. That's the idea. You just peel it off, breaks off. And he says there'd be an iron element, a strong element, and there'd be a human clay element. And we see that, that even in Europe, there's so many cultures. Look at the state of Europe today. Look at the finances of Europe. They can't get the monetary system right. Europe is falling. It's collapsing. Germany is the big powerhouse. And yet Spain, and Germany's actually shoring up all the other nations. Britain is spending millions into it we're losing millions every day losing millions every day in Europe because of this base system that has come out and even you have the like of Italy you have the like of the Republic of Ireland you have Spain you have Portugal you have Greece you have all that region that are now becoming like third world countries because of this and their cultures are starting to clash together We see it in our own country. We see it here. We see the floodgates are open from Europe. We see Islam pouring in. We see other religions pouring in. We see mosques being erected. We see people shouting down, uh, 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 shouting at the soldiers that our own British troops should be slain in the streets. We saying that this is, uh, that this is, is, is something that is to take over our nation and over our land. Are you and I saying that God is going to allow that which he has called by his name to take over his land? I say no, because God has a people to stand against the tide of evil. God has a band of men and women. It is a band that he will raise up, especially in the last day, that our people will hear the word of God. There will be great revival in the land and men and women will turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and be born again of the Spirit. That's what I believe. This kingdom will never end. How do we know? Look at it. Verse 43. And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven, notice, shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever. 
For as much as I sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, the gold, the great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter. And the dream is certain, and the interpretation is sure. Isn't that fantastic? In other words, Christ is coming at the toes of clay and of iron. He's going to raise up a people. His kingdom people will stand up and be counted for his name. Then Christ will come and set up his kingdom upon this earth. And he will rule and reign over the nations for a thousand years. That's what this is speaking of. That's what the Bible's telling us. That Christ is on his way. And Christ will rule and reign over all the nations. Now in the book of Hosea. Hosea sees Gomer, his wife, go. She's like the house of Israel. Scattered throughout the nation, never returned again. As I said, the Lord promised that he would send fishers and hunters from Jeremiah 16 and 16. He'll send fishers and hunters after them. Jesus called and says, follow me and I will make you to become fishers of men, fulfilling Jeremiah 16 and verse 16. And so the gospel goes after God's people. The gospel goes out and people hear this. Come under the new covenant of shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God's kingdom is being built. Notice Hosea chapter 2 and verse 23. The Lord said, I will sow her. That is northern Israel. Northern kingdom. I will sow her unto me in the earth. And I will have mercy upon her. That hath not obtained mercy. Remember he says, I'll not have mercy on you. And you're not my people. Notice what he says. I will have mercy on her. That hath not obtained mercy. And I will say to them which are not my people, Thou art my people. And they shall say, Thou art my God. Now tell me something. First Peter. Go back to First Peter please. Chapter 2. Let's just see how Peter takes all of this to let you and I know exactly where we are today. First Peter chapter 2 verse 10. Peter takes the words of Hosea and he says, Which in time past ye were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Peter is writing to the strangers scattered. He is writing, he's saying, you have obtained the mercy that God said you would obtain through the prophet Hosea. You see, Romans chapter 10, let's go to it. We'll just do that. It's like a Bible study, I know. Romans chapter 10. Listen to what it says. This is how all of our loved ones and our society, our people, our nation will turn again in these last days. Romans chapter 10, please. Let your eye run down for time's sake. Just a verse 13. Verse 13. For whosoever, that's you brother and that was me when we are the whosoever. And that's for all that would hear. Listen, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But notice here is whenever the Lord says he would speak comfortably Unto her, if you remember. In other words, he says he would speak comfortably to the house of Israel. In other words, he would send out the gospel, the gospel of grace. It means I'll speak to her, her live. Comfortably means to the live. That is the heart. 
That's the Hebrew word is leave. It means speak to the inners, speak to the mind, speak to the emotion, speak to the will. I will speak to their inner man, to their inner woman. And that's what the Holy Ghost does through the preaching of his word. Notice what he says here in verse 14. But how then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? Now he's speaking about those who are away. He says, how shall they call on him who have not believed or in everyone that has not heard? Notice this. And how shall they believe on him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? You notice that? See the idea? This gives the idea of someone as an herald. Someone calling a charge. Someone, someone shouting and warning a town of a fire, of a danger, of a watchman who says, The enemy is coming! Prepare! It's not someone mealy-mouthed and standing afraid to speak the word of God. It's not someone giving a little illustration at a Sunday school in the middle of a, a great pulpit or a church meeting. This is something about preaching. And he says, how shall I hear without a preacher? Not a talker even. How shall they hear about a, without a preacher? Notice this. Verse 15, and how shall they preach except they be sent? The Lord said he would send them, fishers and hunters, as it is written. How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring good tidings of good, glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah, sorry, Isaiah, that is, saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, verily, their sound went out unto all the earth, and their words unto the ends of the world. But I, but I say, did not Israel know? First Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people, and by a foolish nation I will anger you. But Isaiah is very bold and saith, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. In other words, Moses was saying one thing, and he was saying, look, God will make you jealous. If you don't want the Lord to use you, brother, if you don't want the Lord to use you, sister, then just let him know, and God will find someone else. If you don't want the Lord to work in you, brother, and if you don't want the Lord to work in you, sister, then just let him know and he'll work in someone else. And if you don't want the Lord to anoint you, brother, and if you don't want the Lord to anoint you, sister, then just let him know and he will anoint someone else. He preached unto them. He turned them away and said, thus far and no further, they limited the Holy One of Israel in the wilderness. And in their towns and their cities when they came to the promised land. Here he says, how can they hear if you don't preach to them? How can they hear if you're not sent to them? Send it out and let them know. There's a great and a glorious gospel. That this Christ has died for them. That he shed his blood that they may be redeemed. And brought back to God. Reconciled. Here Isaiah. Isaiah it says there. But Isaiah is mentioned a couple of times. I think if my memory serves me right. 
The name Isaiah, or Isaiah as it is there, is mentioned some 21 times in the New Testament. You see, people say, I don't read the Old Testament. You can't understand the New Testament without the Old Testament. You can't understand it. If you say, well, I'm a New Testament Christian. We're under the New Covenant, yes. But if you're just all New Testament, you don't read the Old Testament, and it has no bearing in your life, you can't understand the New Testament without the Old Testament. This 66 books is our canonized Bible, not because of man, but because God has ordained it so. From Genesis to Revelation. He uses the name Isaiah twice. Turn with me, please, to Isaiah 65. Isaiah 65. I have you flicking about all over the place tonight, but sure, it does no harm to read the scriptures out. In fact, it does the word of good to read the scriptures out. Isaiah 65. Notice, while you're looking there, let me read just what it says here in Romans chapter 10 and verse 20. But Isaiah of old saith, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. Here he's saying, these strangers, the house of Israel that went years ago and all Israel that would be scattered. And even the ones that didn't know him or hear of him before, he says, no one asked after me. None of them knew me. The Lord says, no man can know me unless I become manifest unto him, unto her. You know, people are saying all the time, oh, well, you know, when before I die, I think I'll give my life to Jesus then. That's not how it works at all. You can't be saved unless there's a quickening of the Holy Ghost. You can't be saved unless the Holy Ghost quickens you to understand. He says, he didn't ask after me, but I went after them, he says. And I sought them out. Listen to Isaiah 65, verse 1. Here is where Paul is mentioning from. I am sought of them that ask not after me. I said, behold me, behold me unto a nation that was not called by my name. Who's he speaking of? He's speaking of those that are saying, you're not my people. And now they're saying, Lord, you've died for us. He says, I have sought you out. I came for you. Hosea goes to buy back Gomer, to bring her back into his house. And that's the idea of God bringing us into his bosom. I have spread out my hands all the day to a rebellious people which walked in a way that was not good after their own thoughts. Notice that. The Lord says, I have offered the hands out. I have held my arms open to you. I have said, I love you. I love you. I love you. I want to bless you. You're my people. You're my chosen. You're my called. You're my righteous. You're my elect. He says, but they were rebellious. He didn't want to know me, he says. The idea here is they walked after their own thoughts. Strange. I heard a guy, you know, I don't really listen to music. You know that. I love the worship, but I don't really listen to music. Any music. Listen to a wee bit of Christian music sometimes. But I don't really listen to music. But I heard a guy, he was going to lead a song. And he said to this crowd, 
Everybody happy, and they all go, yeah, you know, thousands of them. You heard them, yeah. Everybody good, yeah, you know. Everybody okay with their own morals and happy in it. Everybody's right with that, and they all went, yes. They went, dear, help us, Lord. Every man does that which is right in his own sight. What if his, what if someone's morals were to go and murder someone? Is that being happy with your morals? Or what about if someone goes and they're a pedophile, are they happy with their morals? Because their morals are different, we can be happy with our own morals. And then he says, is everyone happy in your own conscience and how it's leading you? God help us, Lord. If that's what our nation is coming to with hundreds of thousands of people shouting yes. The morals of God are laid out in the word of God. The morals of the Lord is the rule and the statute that you and I must come up to. And we fall greatly. But in the grace of God through our Lord Jesus Christ, you and I find that the Bible is our code, is our walk, is all that we are to adhere to. It is the final authority in all manner of Christian conduct and living. The final authority. And outside of that, our morals are a waste. Our morals are corrupt. It's the state of this nation that we see in Isaiah 65 and God says, you've done what you think's right. And people all over the place are thinking, well, you know, that's just love the word like hippie flower power, you know, flowers in their hair and all this sort of stuff. Let's all get together and ecumenize. Listen, folks, I'm going to, I want to, after the 12th of maybe do this, the 12th fortnight with holidays. But this, this last couple of weeks, it's been tremendous, the things that are happening and around religious people and societies in the world. It's absolutely astonishing of the, the way men who, who people look up to, Kenneth Copeland. Kenneth Copeland. And that guy from Toronto, I can't remember his name. Anyway, guy from Toronto, and Joe Lobstein, representing, I'll put it in brackets, Pentecostals. Charismatics. They sat with the Pope. And they proclaimed him as a godly man. And the head of Mormonism was there. And the head of, of the Palestinian Islam was there. And the Judaism, they were there who deny Christ also, don't forget. They were there. And they all got together and had a lovely big prayer meeting. And how the Pope says he wants to embrace them all and bring them in to the fold of Rome. It's a cage of every hateful and of every unclean bird. Presbyterians in the United States had a big conference and now they have declared gay marriage is lawful. Listen, not in the law of the states they're talking of. It's lawful in the eyes of God. And the Anglicans 
the Anglicans have had more of their ministers or priests, as they call them, go back to Rome with their wives than any other denomination. God forgive them. God forgive them. They have joined the scarlet harlot, the whore of Babylon, the Antichrist himself. They have joined up in league with the beast of revived Roman Empire. And the harlot daughters that have joined in will find themselves with that beast in the lake of fire. Shocks on this, have it? That's strong, isn't it? I was at a meeting yesterday, prophecy meeting. A couple of boys there too. This wee man gets up from England, pastor, never heard of him before. And he had a jacket on him. Bill Campbell went. Bill was there. I brought Bill with me. He had a jacket on him, like a suit jacket, and it was down to near his knees. And the sleeves were over the tips of his fingers. And the shoulders were about six foot wide. And he was about three foot tall. And they get up and he had hardly any teeth. He had hardly a bar in the grate, as they say. And this wee man get up very gingerly, sweet, sheepishly, and he get up behind the pulpit. He comes up behind it and he's a Lancashire accent, soft but Lancashire accent. He starts to read about the prophet from the house of Judah going to the house of Israel to preach against the altar and the sin and the idolatry in him. And I thought, what's this wee man like here coming up? And he got up, and was he anointed? <laughs> I said, forgive me, Lord. And he called out every single sin our nation is committing. From gay pride, to the sins that are being shown around the nation on television, to the sins that are in government, to the sins that are in ecclesiastical circles. He called them out and he says, we need men who will stand, he says, and be an Elijah to the nation. Unafraid to share the word of God. And he says, look, I'm coming to you, you're all nicely dressed. This is a nice room, it was in a hotel, uh, hired room, and you're all in a nice room. And this wee man, you could hardly see him over the top of this. And as I said, he, he was lisping through the... Uh, he had more teeth in the gaps than gaps in his teeth. And he was lisping through him, but the anointing of God was upon him. He blew me away. I thought he was... And he just stood... And we hands, you could hardly see his wee hands sticking out of the jacket. It was that big. I was going to say, did, only he was about 60-odd, 70. I was going to say, did you bring your daddy's coat with you today? It was a... <laughs> but boy, was he powerful. Was he powerful. He says, I'm sitting here talking to you. He says, but every Friday night, now listen to this man. He must be maybe more than 70, would he? I don't know. If he was any less than 70, he had a hard paper round, take a look at that. 
says, I'm standing before you, as he says, but see every Friday night at midnight. I drive down to Liverpool and go right down to the dockside, he says, and I have a congregation sitting waiting on me. I'm, I'm sitting thinking to myself, the dockside, I'm thinking of a church, he says. He goes down to the docks, he says, and last week he says, I had five prostitutes, four drug addicts, a couple of alcoholics, and a lot of homeless people, and they all stood, he says, shouting and spitting at me while I preached the gospel from, fr- from two o'clock on the, in the, at midnight at two o'clock on Friday to two o'clock. Midnight and Friday, 2 o'clock on a Saturday morning. And he does it every week. And there was a, a, a guard with him, he says, and they were giving him a lot of hassle. And he just kept preaching it and preaching it. And he kept preaching it and preaching it to them. Then this young woman, out of nowhere, she just steps up beside him. And she starts singing about the coming of the Lord and the glory of our God and the blood of the Lamb. Five get saved. Hallelujah. Five of them came to Christ. This wee man. <laughs> going to have to do another night at this, you know, I'm going to wrap this up. Isaiah says, they haven't sought after me. But the Lord said he would send fishers and hunters and speak comfortably unto them. <laughs> A gospel that reaches us speaks to our hearts of a saving grace. The precious blood of Jesus, the forgiveness of sin, the righteousness clothed in that of Christ. Turn with me as we finished. You see, if we have to have a kingdom, there must be a king. You know, a principality has a prince. Principality. A king, there has to be a king. Kingdom has to be a king. Turn with me to John chapter 12. To understand who this Christ is. To understand who this wonderful Christ is. John mentions Isaiah as well. Here in this glorious gospel, we hear Paul mentions him. Peter speaks of the Old Testament. Now John mentions looking at Christ. Look at verse 37. But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. That the saying of Isaiah, or Isaiah the prophet, might be fulfilled, which spake, which he spake, the Lord, Lord, who hath believed our report, and the whom of the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, because that Isaiah saith again, he hath blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart, and be converted, and I should heal them. Here he's saying, Isaiah spoke of me. John says, Isaiah spoke of this one. And God says, you cannot believe on him unless he calls you. That's why Peter says, for he hath called us 
out of darkness and into his marvelous light, Jesus says that he had come and that all his sheep would hear his voice. Notice what he says now in verse 41. The thing saith Isaiah when he saw his glory and spake of him. Notice the thing saith Isaiah when he saw his glory and spake of him. It is believed that Isaiah chapter 51 that we have read just previous. And Isaiah chapter 6, you can read it when you go home. This is what John is speaking of. He's looking at Jesus healing the sick, raising the dead, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. He's, he, he, he's moving in power and in glory. He, he's doing things that no man has ever done. Speak like no man has ever spake. And he is a king of kings, yet people don't even see him for who he is, the Christ of God. And John looking at him says, this is he of whom Isaiah spake when he saw his glory. When did Isaiah say his glory? Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that king Uzziah died, he says, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Isaiah said that, then he said about those who sought not after the Lord. And according to tradition, you know what happened to Isaiah? Isaiah was told he went, he's meant to have went on the run. And some say he hid in a hollow tree. But the hem of his garment gave him away. And they came with a wooden saw. And they sawed right through the tree with Isaiah in it. The blood ran out the tree and down the tree. Some say he wasn't in a tree. Many say he was. Because he said, I saw the Lord. Something almost parabolic about that too. Christ and his finished work, the hem of his garment was on the tree. He nailed him to the tree and his blood ran out the tree. Here is the king of the kingdom who will return in that stone kingdom, the stone cut out without hands. And the woman who hid the, the meal, it says 11 leavens the whole lump. In other words, it goes right through the whole lump. And here, this kingdom, this stone cut out without hands in Daniel 2, we're told it, it comes and it grows into a mountain in the earth. The mountain gives the idea of a great government. Gives the idea of a great nation. Speaking of the nation then of Israel that would grow in the earth. And then it says it would fill the whole earth. That's what Christ is doing before his return. And when he comes back, he's coming to rule and to reign. Over this world and over the nations. And the save, the redeemed of the Lord will be in that kingdom with him. And rule and reign forever. This is a great and a glorious gospel, isn't it? This is a great and a glorious gospel. I'll do one more. I wanted to get from, taken from darkness on to light. I'll just do that next week and in the Lord's will and we'll see how we get on from there. But I think one more week should do this. We'll not be going too much more into prophecy. We'll be doing more about this light and darkness, more of a furtherance on message, if we can call it. God bless us all this evening.